Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 this morning. Uh, be helpful to have that open in front of you. Um, and uh, be also helpful to have the outline. Uh, Romans chapter 1, looking at verses 1 to 7. Let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. Uh, we pray now that as we um, come to uh, listen to what you have to say to us in the scriptures, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts. Uh, we pray that he would open our eyes uh, to the wonders of your gospel um, and that he would draw us to the Lord Jesus and that glory would go to him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Patrick mentioned earlier, we're beginning a new series today in the book of Romans. It's a letter of the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome. It was written by the Apostle Paul probably about 57 AD. Uh, and he, and when I say apostle, he's someone who, an apostle is someone who is sent by someone else and carries that person's authority. Right, so Paul says in the verse 1 of chapter 1, he says he's a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle. So he's writing this letter as an ambassador of Christ Jesus. He's writing with the authority of Jesus Christ. He's writing as a representative of Jesus Christ. Uh, the ultimate author, of course, is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, who moves him to write these words. Uh, but these are the letters of the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul had never been to Rome when this letter was written, but he was the Apostle to the Gentiles, all the people who were not Jews. That's his special mission field. And Rome had a lot of Gentiles. And so he was keen to visit there, he was keen to exercise some sort of ministry there, and he was also keen to sort out some issues. Uh, some issues had arisen between the Jews and the Gentiles that were there. And he was keen to enlist the support of the Romans uh, for the next stage of his ministry. But most importantly, Paul was, at the end of verse 1, set aside for the gospel of God. And so he was keen to explain the gospel that he had been preaching. He was keen that the church in Rome would be very clear on the gospel. And so here in the book of Romans, he he lays it out in a methodical way. He lays out his gospel, he deals with objections to it, and he shows how it applies to the situation in Rome. Now, here in 21st century KL, we need the gospel just as much as the people in 1st century Rome needed the gospel. We too need to understand the gospel clearly, keep it central in our lives. We need to be able to deal with the objections to the gospel as we take it out. And we need to see how the gospel applies to our lives in practical ways. And so we'll keep praying that God the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to us here in the book of Romans as he spoke to the Roman church back then. Now the word gospel simply means good news. So it's news. It's a message. Paul takes a lot of space in Romans to, to explain that message to explain the meaning of the gospel, to explain the content of the gospel. But here in this first seven verses, there are six things that he tells us about that gospel. And the first thing that he tells us about the gospel is that it is God's gospel. At the end of verse 1, he calls it the gospel of God. The gospel of God. That is, it is a gospel that comes from God. It is a message that belongs to God. 
And it is one that we, as we shall see later, brings glory to God. Uh, it is God's gospel. Now, occasionally, um, I see articles in magazines or on the internet, I don't know if you see them, you know, sometimes they're written by a famous person, and they say, this article is copyright, but you're allowed to copy and distribute as many copies as you like, as long as you don't change anything. Right? Have you seen things like that? Okay, Swaran's a copyright lawyer, he knows all about that. Right? And, he, and also usually says you've got to keep this, this, uh, this uh, notice together with the article, uh, whatever you do. Right? Friends, the gospel of God is like that. Now, the copyright belongs to him. It means that we do not define what the gospel is, because we do not create it. What we do is we learn it, and we pass it on. Right? But we don't have any right to change it. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't belong to us. It's the gospel of God. And so we're going to make sure that the gospel that we preach, our gospel, is God's gospel. The good news that he preaches, which is why this series in Romans is so important. Because if we preach another gospel, a different gospel to the gospel of God, then, then well, we're putting ourselves up in competition with God, aren't we? I need to be very clear what the real gospel is, so we can spot fake ones. And the gospel is the gospel of God. The second thing we notice about the gospel is the gospel is the fulfillment of God's promises. In verse 2, Paul describes the gospel as the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament part of the Bible is what he's referring to here. Part of the Bible written before Jesus. And it is full, full, full of promises. And all those promises, somehow or other, end up in the gospel of Jesus. Whole Old Testament is like a 39-lane highway that leads straight to the gospel. And we could spend the rest of the day going through the Old Testament page by page, showing how it points there, but you'd be pleased to know that we're not going to do that. All we'll note for now is that we find the word gospel itself in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, gospel was good news, glad tidings, and it's a special kind of news that, that would be proclaimed in the future. And we saw it in our Old Testament reading today, the real one, the second one. Right? It's the news that God had come to save his people and reign as king. God's people were in captivity. God would come and rescue them. God would reign over them. It was the news that the people of Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting to hear. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9, it says, Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. That's the gospel word. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Save the cities of Judah. Behold your king. And in 52 verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And say to Zion, your God reigns. That was a future. And now Paul is saying, look, that future has arrived. That gospel is, is being proclaimed. The good news about God coming to save his people and ruling his king, well, that's, about to, that, that, that's actually happening now. Now, suppose, suppose someone came to my door and he said, look, I've come to paint your house, let me in. I'll be a bit suspicious. Would you be suspicious if someone came to your door and said, look, I probably wouldn't open the door, would I? A bit reluctant. How do I know? How do I know if I can trust this person? Well, let me tell you. 
Anthony, uh, where I stay, the flat that I stay is owned by, the, by, by this cathedral. Right? And let's say Anthony from the cathedral office rings me up and said, look, I'm sending a painter to paint your house. That, that would make a difference, wouldn't it? Right? And friends, the gospel didn't come in a vacuum. It was promised beforehand by God through the prophets. Jesus didn't just turn up and say, okay, look, you know, I've come to save you. No, no, no. It was promised over and over again by the prophets in the Old Testament. And the prophets promised that, 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 that he would come. It is the fulfillment of God's promises. We knew it was coming. And so we can receive it with confidence. The gospel is a fulfillment of God's promises. The third thing about the gospel is that it is all about King Jesus. Right? Verse 3 says it is the gospel concerning his son. It's the gospel concerning his son. Some of our friends get very edgy when we talk about the son of God. Right? They, they misunderstand what we mean and they think that, you know, we think that God had sex with Mary and they had Jesus and so he's half man, half God kind of thing. Right? And so he's God's son. But, but that's not what the Bible says at all, is it? The fact that Jesus is God's son means all kinds of things and none of them that. Now, we don't have time to explore all the different aspects of Christ's sonship today, but, but here in this passage, the sonship of Jesus means that he is God's promised king. And there are two things here about the kingship of Jesus. Things that are linked to the promises of God in the scriptures. Because in verse 3 we read that he was descended from David according to the flesh. That is, he came from David. He was a physical descendant of David. David lived 1,000 years beforehand. Arguably one of the greatest kings, the greatest king that uh, Israel ever had. And God had made David some very big promises. God promised to consider David's sons, his descendants, as his own sons. He would punish those who disobeyed, but his dynasty would last forever. God would make the son of David king and have a great and eternal dynasty. And that son would be God's son. Uh, later on, when the prophets warned that God was going to destroy Israel because of disobedience, they promised one day God would restore the nation. And God will still keep his promise to David. And one day, a son of David would rule once again. And this time, not only Israel, but, but all the nations. And his kingdom will be forever. Now, Romans says that Jesus is God's son, Descended from David according to the flesh. So he's a candidate to be that king. Think about that painter illustration we used earlier. What if Anthony at the church office didn't just ring me and tell me the painter was coming? What if he rang and said, the painter's coming and he's, he, he tells me what family he's coming from. He's, he's from the Chow family, alright? His painter's name is Mr. Chow. Uh, so if the painter turns up and he says, look, he doesn't just say, I'm here to paint your house, Anthony sent me. But he says, look, I'm here to paint your house, Anthony sent me. My name is Mr. Charles, see, my I see him. Okay? I'd have even more confidence, wouldn't I? Jesus is God's son, descended from David according to the flesh. We can have confidence in him. But then, David had many descendants. Not every Mr. Charles is my painter. 
how do we know which descendant of David is God's ultimate powerful son? Well, the Old Testament helps us again. David himself was a prophet. He spoke in a prophetic voice, in the voice of his, his greater descendant to come in Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, David says, in the voice of the son, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy ones see corruption. And remember as we looked at the book of Acts, we had Peter using this verse in the day of Pentecost. We had Paul using this verse in the Pisidian Antioch. And they said, look, David died. His body saw corruption, but David was pointing forward to someone greater. He was pointing to the real king, the real son of God, that he was just a a shadow of. And this one would not see corruption. His body will not rot in the grave. He will be raised. And in Romans 1 verse 4, Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. And so when Jesus rose from the dead by God's miraculous power, by his resurrection, he was declared to be, or he was appointed, God's powerful king. He was the Son of God in power. And so his qualification for kingship, we can see, is twofold. From the flesh, physical descendant of David, From the Holy Spirit, powerfully raised from the dead, even after the leaders of Israel had rejected him and crucified him. And so we can have even more confidence in him. It's like if I sent Mr. Child, the painter, away, saying, look, I still don't believe you. And then he came back five minutes later with Anthony on his handphone, and Anthony's voice on the other side saying, Andrew, don't be silly, this is him, open the door, you've made a mistake. And so there is no doubt that Jesus is the one. He is the king that God had promised. The one that David was referring to in Psalm 2, when he prophesied these words, in the voice of God's coming king. I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This is the king, the son of God, who will rule the world. And we can summarize who he is in the last phrase of verse 4. Jesus Christ our Lord. You know the word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. That is God's chosen king. And so Jesus Christ means King Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the boss, the ruler. And so the gospel is about King Jesus, the Lord. The boss. And any attempt to proclaim the gospel without proclaiming that Jesus is Lord is actually a faulty attempt at proclaiming the gospel, isn't it? Because the gospel is all about Jesus, the Lord. See, some people say, oh, you can accept Jesus as Savior without accepting him as Lord. But that doesn't make sense. In fact, it's rubbish. We'll look at the book of Romans and we'll see how much time uh, Paul uses to talk about the fact that Jesus saved us from our sins, which is a key part of the gospel. But if we only proclaim Jesus as our saviour, we haven't proclaimed the gospel, because even before Paul starts talking about 
the gospel. He says whose gospel it is. And it's all about the Lord Jesus. The only Jesus there is, is the Lord Jesus. The only Saviour we have is the one who is Lord. The gospel message is a message about him. The other thing, the other reason why it's important to think about the fact that the gospel is concerning Christ Jesus is because, well, we human beings, we're very self-centered, aren't we? Right? It starts when we're small, we try to get out of it, and in some ways we do, in some ways we don't, and often we don't. And we often think the gospel's about us. How can we be happy? How can we be fulfilled? How can we be more prosperous? How can we be saved? But the gospel's not about how we can have a happier existence. It's not about how we can be more fulfilled in this world. And it's certainly not about how we can get more prosperous and get more earthly treasures. And while the gospel does tell us how we can be saved, in fact that's a very important part of the gospel message, not even that is primarily what the gospel is about. The gospel is primarily and ultimately about Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the message about him. Now, we haven't gone into the details of what it is about him that the message says. Right? We haven't talked about what he's done. That's contained in the message. But let's be very, very clear. Who's the message about? About Jesus Christ, the King, the Promised One, who's declared to be King by his resurrection from the dead. And then as we go on in the book of Romans, we will see the content of the gospel becoming clearer. That God gave this Jesus Christ, this Lord, this King, to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And by doing that, God showed us his righteous character of justice and holy love. That is God's gospel. It was promised beforehand. And it's all about Jesus Christ our Lord. Which brings us to the next point. That the proper response to the gospel is what we call the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Have a look at our passage again. Paul, it says, was set apart for the gospel of God in verse 1. And then in verse 2 to 4, it talks all about that gospel, you know, concerning his son, etc., etc. And then halfway through verse 5, he tells us, what the point of being set apart for the gospel was. And it, it, it is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Right. It's actually better, the word order is actually to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for the sake of his name. Right. That is, the purpose of the gospel, well not the purpose, right? The, the, um, Paul is set apart for the gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among the nations. Now, what does the obedience of faith mean? The obedience of faith could mean the obedience that comes from faith. And if you're using the NIV, that's, that's how they translate it. The obedience, the obedience that comes from faith. That is to say, faith in the gospel leads to obedience. 
Alternatively, the obedience of faith could be the obedience which is faith. That is, to obey the gospel means to believe it. Because the gospel demands your belief. Both are theologically correct. Both can be proved from other Bible passages. Faith in the gospel does lead to changed lives. If we trust in God's message then of Jesus, we will live under Jesus' kingship. And on the other hand, the gospel does call upon us to believe it. And the way we obey the gospel is indeed by trusting it. And so probably both of those things are things that Paul has in mind here. Paul, he says, he received grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith among the nations. He was set apart so that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, would hear the gospel and come to this obedience of faith. Right? Now, it's not that the gospel is not for the Jews, but Paul was the, gospel, the apostle of the Gentiles. When he was a sinner, he was a persecutor, God saved him and appointed him his representative to the Gentiles to bring the obedience of faith from the nations. He still preached to the Jews first, and then he always went to the Gentiles. We saw that as we did Acts, didn't we? He's looking towards the nations, towards people like, like you and me, who are not Jews, to come to the obedience of faith. To trust to obey the gospel by believing it, and to express our faith in actions. Can I just ask you, have, have you come to the obedience of faith? If the gospel is a message about Jesus the King, then have you obeyed the gospel by submitting to Jesus as King? If the gospel message is about Jesus the King who died on the cross for your sins, to make you right with God, are you trusting his death to make you righteous? And is your faith being expressed in humble, obedient dependence on God? The gospel leads to the obedience of faith. And yet, even faith and obedience are not the ultimate goal of this exercise. Because the goal of the gospel ultimately is the glory of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse, verse, uh, verse 5 again. Right, background. Paul set apart for the gospel of God. Down at verse 5, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. Why? In the end, for the sake of his name. See, everything up to then is a means to an end. The ultimate reason God set Paul aside for the gospel, the ultimate reason why the obedience of faith is called for, is for the sake of the Lord's name. The final goal of the gospel is the glory of the Lord Jesus. The final goal of the gospel is that Jesus would be famous, that his name would be honoured. That God's character of justice and love that is shown at the cross will be seen and appreciated. That many people will come to know and trust in Jesus as Saviour and obey Him as King. That people from all nations would bow before Jesus. And when Jesus is honoured, the Father is glorified. See friends, in the end that is what it's about. 
It's about the glory of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. By the gospel we're saved. That's wonderful. But the ultimate goal of the gospel is in us. It's Jesus. And the glory of Jesus is so important. It is the most important thing in the universe. That is what the universe is here for. Everything was made by Him and for Him. That's what we're here for. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that is what the gospel is for. To bring glory to the one to whom it is rightfully due. To Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so the highest motivation for preaching the gospel to others is for the glory of Jesus. Yes, we obey the Great Commission. Jesus told us to make disciples of every nation. We should do that. Yes, we are concerned for the lost. We love them. God cares for them and so do we. But the highest motivation, the most lofty rationale, the greatest reason to share the gospel with others is so that Jesus is honored and that he is given the glory that he is rightfully due. The gospel is ultimately for the glory of Jesus. So, we've seen the gospel is not primarily about us, it's about Jesus. And not only about Jesus, but for Jesus. And yet the gospel does have all kinds of implications for us, doesn't it? Thanks be to God. We've already seen that the gospel is a gospel message that saves us. For the gospel is about the, the death of the king to take away our sins. We've seen how it demands obedience of faith from us. Because the way that salvation comes to us is when we trust the gospel message. And the final point this morning is that the gospel shapes our identity. The gospel shaped the identity of the Roman church to which Paul was writing. They were called, verse 6, to belong to Jesus Christ. That is, God chose them, God called them out from among the nations, even from among the other Romans, to be in the kingdom of his Son. He saved them through the gospel when they trusted in Jesus, and they, he made them his. They belong to the king. That is, that is their identity. But that's not all. In verse 7 he says, they were loved by God. Not in the general way, in which God loves everyone in the world, but in a very specific way, these people are loved by God. He chose them to be his own because he loved them. And out of all the people in the world, they were, they were verse 6 again, called, or verse 7, called to be saints. Saints means holy ones. Ones set apart for God. And so they are loved by him, they are special to him, they are separate from the rest because they especially belong to him. That was true of the Roman Christians. And if we are among those who trust in Jesus, then that is true of us. Do you know that? Now don't look at him, look at me. Right. Swear and look at me. Thank you. Do you know that? Of course you know it in theory, don't you? But do you really know it? See, brothers and sisters, if, if you're a believer, then you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to Him. You are His. And if we are believers together, then, then together we belong to Christ. Like the Christians at Rome. That is your identity. That is who you are. 
You are someone who belongs to the king. Don't belong to yourself. Don't belong to sin. Don't belong to death. But you do belong. Belong to Jesus. This is a game I found on the internet this morning. As I googled, I belong to Jesus. Let me read it to you. I belong to Jesus. I am not my own. All I have and all I am shall be his alone. I belong to Jesus. He is my Lord and King. Reigning in my inmost heart over everything. I belong to Jesus. Blessed, blessed thought. With his own most precious blood has my soul been bought. I belong to Jesus. He has died for me. I am his and he is mine through eternity. I belong to Jesus. He will keep my soul when the deathly waters dark round about me roll. I belong to Jesus and ere long I will stand with my precious Savior there in the glory land. You belong to Him. And if you belong to Jesus, then you know that you are loved by God. God chose you to belong to Him. That makes you special. Not because you're better than anyone else, but God loved you so much that when you were in full rebellion against Him, Christ died for you. Took your sin and your punishment on your behalf. That is the ultimate expression of love. You may or may not feel God's love at the moment, but that doesn't change the fact that God loves you. Always go back to the gospel to see God's love. Don't have to look for love elsewhere. He doesn't have to prove his love to you again and again. He's done it on the cross once and for all. And in the gospel he says, I love you over and over and over again. And nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Know, friends, know that you are loved because of the gospel. And if you belong to Jesus, you are now a saint. God called you to belong to Jesus. He considers you a saint. Yes, you are a sinner. A terrible sinner. And your sin is even worse than you think. But because Jesus died for you, you are a saint. You are pure and holy in God's sight. You've been set apart for Him. Special to Him. And because you are a saint, because you are holy, because you are special, then you will seek to live a holy life. A life of obedience, consistent with who you are. You and I belong to Jesus. We are loved by God. And we are saints. The gospel shapes our identity. And not just us as individuals, but, but as a community. Paul was writing to a community, to a church. And the same thing will apply to us as a congregation here. We belong to Jesus Christ. As a church, we are His. We don't belong to the pastor. We don't belong to the denomination. We don't belong to ourselves. We, we belong to our King, the Lord Jesus. We are loved by God. As a church, we are precious. We are chosen, loved people. Christ died for us. His body. To make us pure and clean. 
God loves us, not just as individuals, but as a, as a group together. In spite of our differences, in spite of our faults, Smack One is loved by God. Isn't that wonderful? And we were called to be saints. Together, we are God's holy people. We are a holy gathering. Set apart from every other kind of meeting to be the place where God dwells by His Spirit. We are special to God. And as a community, we seek to be a holy community. To become what we really are because of what Christ has done for us. And so, brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is God's gospel. It is God's gospel about His Son. It is God's gospel about His Son that demands our faith and obedience. It is God's gospel about His Son that demands our faith and obedience for the sake of Jesus' name. And that gospel teaches us how to think about God, about ourselves, and about each other.